Greetings and welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich. And I'm Chris. And this week we are chatting all things movies of 1993. So welcome to 1993. And guys, I, I kind of feel like we're, we're hitting the... We're hitting what the 90s have got to offer us. Does that make sense? Like, I think mm-hmm. they're throwing off the shackles of the 80s. And and they're really showing us what the 90s are going to give to us. Do, do you kind of agree? Um, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like starting to hit its strides early, what, 92? And then all the way through, it's got its identity. The 90s has its kind of feeling that works. And we're going from the kind of more kind of like the 80s and the... I guess whimsical is the wrong word, but the real kind of classic sort of family films, and we're going into like the real age of the proper blockbuster now, mm. like the real proper big special effects summer blockbuster era. And um, yeah, the nineties is to me it, it's 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 the best decade for film. It's there's those formative years, and it's yeah, there's so many films that stick out as like just all time greats. I think I think where I've been watching back some. Uh, films recently and you know I love the films from the 80s as well and like I feel like you know I'll give you an example of the films I've watched like Demolition Man mm. oh. and love that. and the films mm. that we, we've we've chosen for tonight's episode and it feels like from this year big in a big way like like it's really given us now the, the, the feel of the 90s like, like, like it's just kind of thrown those Eighties away a little bit, uh, they kind of let go of it, and and we're now just hitting the nineties big time. The nineties really was the era where I, it was kind of the the decade of like firsts for me. I mean that was a lot. That was the real period where I was really starting to rent a lot of films, and my mum unknowingly or knowingly, whichever way you look at it, was mm. renting me a lot of action movies that I wasn't meant to be watching. Oh, we were the so same, exactly the same. I discovered blood and guts and sure yeah more you know <clears throat> adult stuff <laughs> um and yeah it's just there was nothing to me before that it was only when i got into the 90s when i sort of you know coming out of my uh eight nine year old into the tens i just mm. started to see that it was more to movies than maybe you know the likes of ghostbusters and uh flight the navigator <laughs> it was like it was a world of action cinema and uh yeah, it just kind of went, just went on from there, really. I love how you chose the flight and navigate for that example. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> love that film. Brilliant. See you later, navigator. Sorry, <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Amazing. That is a perfect <laughs> impression, Chris. I love it. Oh God, <laughs> you got to have more of that kind of like Frank Oz background to it, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do on the episode? <laughs> What we're going to do in the episode is we're going to have a, a quick look through the top 20 films of the year. Um, I've got the awards game. Rich, you got to pull your socks up a little bit, catch up with Chris. Yeah, I have. Oh, yep. am I winning? Um, yes. Not in the Charlie Sheen sense, but winning. Yeah. And uh, then we're just going to, we've all just bought a film each that we're just going to just have a chat about at the end. Let, let's have a quick look through the, the top 20 films. At... Uh, Number eighteen came under siege. Oh well, come on. From, <laughs> uh, was brought in four point five million pounds. 
Um, anything to say on Under Siege? Um, it's enjoyable. Um, it was one of my mum's... is hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. Um, my mum was always uh, watching it, because obviously I think she was a Steven Seagal fan. I don't oh, think one of, one of the only five in the world, but... Yeah, that's one that you get a lot of, like, mum's favourites, and Steven mm. Seagal's one I can never never approve of that's just like no. even then never mind now like yeah all well, melty with his, and with his spray on hair he's <laughs> <laughs> like aerosol hair <laughs> yeah he's always oh, horrible 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 person and apparently he's a piece of trash as well who knew um yeah i don't know i never really quite understand i never understood how i mean it obviously it was only really for the shortest time and it was still quite modest success but there was a real period where Steven Seagal was an actual like kind of hot property mm. in Hollywood. Yeah, I, I think I, it was around this time. Yeah, I can't figure it out. I I can't. In you know, an age of Arnie's and Stallones and Willis's, I'm just like, even then he was like you know a pound shop, um, <laughs> yeah, B and M, you know, action movie star. I just I didn't get it. Didn't get it. <laughs> I, I think Chris hit on the head, doesn't it? Just because he had a bit of bit of good looks to him and a, a oh, bit of muscle he? and yeah, a bit of martial arts. And, <laughs> yeah. You know. But like you said, there were there were better action movie stars at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. Mate, if anyone's listening that that know what Steven Seagal's secret was, then please let us know. Cocaine um, and other narcotics, maybe I don't know. <laughs> uh, speaking as of uh, Sylvester Stallone, at number fifteen was Demolition Man. Oh, it's one of my guilty pleasures. This film, I just love it. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. amazing film. I watched this back um, only last week for the first time in, in many years and uh, I had a great time with it. It's just, just an all-out, proper 90s mm-hmm. action shoot film that, you know, and I th- it was probably, um, it's probably enjoyed Sandra Bullock's performance the best from this film. I, yeah, was, I mean, there's yeah. a lot to be said about yeah, Sandra Bullock. Just, I, was, yeah. I was full-blown crash at this point, big time. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, what amazing film. Um, Wesley Snipes just—that's yeah. the like the epitome of someone having fun doing a film. Yeah. Was you can see that they're all loving doing this film, and the, the wacky yeah. concepts and the wacky st- the st- um, props and sets and like future flash forwards that some of them got kind of weirdly accurate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the just outgoing administration and stuff like that, and it was just really just fun to watch. I'm just, yeah. I'm just glad that they um, they didn't get the three seashells prediction yeah. correct. Do you know what? I love that gag that they never explain it. I know. Yeah. It's just it's left. It's just like what were they used for? No and one because, knows. Because and because it kind of got uh, mentioned near the end of the film, I was kind of left pondering. Like, what do you do with those three seashells? If anyone's listening, they don't really know what we're talking about. I believe there is actually a YouTube video where people actually work it out. (laughs) Try it. I I don't know. I remember it came. You know when you have these obscure memories, and I'm sure someone worked out what you could do with three seashells in the bathroom. That sounds like a video for later. That's that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) But if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about in the film, they uh, they they tell. Sylvester Stallone when he comes out of the ice that the way to wipe your bottom in the future is to use the three seashells that are positioned quite nicely next to the toilet but um, we, like we say we, we just never found out how you actually are supposed to use them 
I just love that scene where they're saying the free seashells. They don't know about sea ch- free seashells, and then he has the idea of like using profanity to get the sheets of paper. I just think that's great. <laughs> it's great. John Spartan, you are fine. Two credits for <laughs> profanity. <laughs> he just rules them out. Was it I'll be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back in five. <laughs> Oh god, that's so good. Oh, that was so really good. I, I, yeah. I still hear that in my head. It's just like kind of interrupting yourself because it just keeps on like muttering into yeah. it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but again, like Stallone can be known as this really wooden kind of guy, but again, with this film, they're all having fun. I really liked it's, him in this film though. I, yeah. thought, I thought his performance in this film was is great compared mm. to some of his other performances. Mm. So, yeah, I just thought it was great. I thought Wesley Snipes, like you say, was great. Uh, Central Bullet was great. The 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 whole cast was just, it was just great. It's just it's just a great nineties action flick that everyone needs to see. Age appropriate. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's just I I've always loved the gag with the the expanding foam in the car for safety. I think that's <laughs> yep. an inspired safety choice for cars. <laughs> and and like all restaurants are Taco Bell. Oh Taco the Bell wars. Was it a franchise uh, wars? Was the, it? Yeah, the franchise wars and Taco Bell won. This is like <laughs> what. And like gourmet, wasn't it? Like little tiny. Yeah, it's like, like little tiny, like glass, <laughs> sh- glass sheets of stuff. Like, oh, it's just hilarious. It's so weird. <laughs> I just remember going to Taco Bell, Ramsgate, and there's not Ramsgate in Chatham, I think, and then down local to me. And my first thought was, oh yeah, I just thought Demolition Man when I sat there with my you know, yeah, enchilada, uh, whatever. Uh, that that was it. Apparently, the UK TV edit included pizza. It had Pizza Hut as a fran- the uh, franchise wars uh. winner. Okay. And I was, again, randomly you go down a YouTube rabbit hole and it's a thing about Demolition Man or something. And it mentioned that the UK TV edit included Pizza Hut because people in the UK, 90% of people in the UK wouldn't really know what Taco Bell was in the 90s. That is <laughs> yeah. correct, yeah. Which is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And they changed it to Pizza Hut. But they changed the dialogue to Pizza Hut with some bad dubbing. But when they get to the restaurant, <laughs> it's just Taco Bell everywhere. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> number eight indecent proposal came in at 7.9 i felt we were a bit young for like indecent I've proposal film once i feel like i have i Maybe. don't think i have actually robert redford debbie moore yeah she gets paid a million pounds or dollars doesn't she to to spend a night with him Fair enough. i think that's the basic premise of the film Fair i can't really remember much more than that uh number six was the fugitive with harrison ford <laughs> What was I didn't, that? What I was didn't that do it. it I didn't do it. <laughs> I don't care. I love that line. <laughs> I like the fugitive. I thought it was a good <laughs> film. <laughs> One armed man. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <clears throat> I feel like I've, I think I've watched that film once. Um, but just again going back to Under Siege, just Tommy Lee Jones, just like force of nature. Love that guy. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Surprising. I mean, I guess this is around the time, really. The nineties as well. We talked about how the nineties brought us a lot of stuff, but this is around the time as well. We were getting a lot of movie movie adaptations of these like shows from like the sixties, seventies. Yeah. Again, like Fugitive, Saint, Mission mm-hmm. Impossible, Lost in Space. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And Brady Bunch. The list goes on. Beverly Hillbillies. I could go on yep. all day. Yep. Just mm-hmm. Reel them off. And uh, Adam's Adam family. family. I keep going. Yeah. And they, <laughs> um, the TV adaptations haven't stopped because they kind of bled all the way through the early 2000s as well and just true. kept going. True, true. Yeah. Yeah, Fitch definitely watched in a long time. Mm. That's one it's, thing. It's a good go film. They kind of... My, I remember, again, 
your mum, your parents were always like the fans of the older kind of movie stars. So anything to do with like Harrison Ford, my mum would always watch. Although she couldn't really watch Star Wars, but I don't blame her because I think I annoyed her too much of it as a kid. But yeah, The Fugitive was kind of on. If it was on, she'd be watching it. And just the chemistry between Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford is just amazing. Especially in that scene, whether it is it a dam or is it a water treatment plant. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he just says, I didn't do it, I didn't kill her. And Tommy Lee Jones, his US Marshal, just says, I don't care. Because he doesn't. He's just doing his job. <laughs> He's chasing his guy down because he has to. And yeah, it's just a, a great film to disappear into for a couple of hours. Uh, and number five was A Few Good Men. All I know about A Few Good Men is just Jack Nelson. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, I wish someone would tell. Um Wish someone would tell uh, Tom Cruise the truth uh, about you know, Scientology, for instance, how it's all gibberish. But hey, whatever. Like most religions, yeah. yeah. Trigger warning. <laughs> Less than a I've, I've been deep on the Scientology rabbit hole for the last two months, so I've got my thoughts about it. But yeah, Tom Cruise, he's, he's an interesting one. I don't know quite what to think about him anymore. Um, I've never watched this film. I, I know that scene. I've seen it parodied. I've seen mm. the original clip. Um, that's about all I know of the film, to be fair. Yeah, I think I've probably seen half of it probably about yeah. 20 years ago. But I just remember The Simpsons with Sideshow Bob and I deride your truth-handling <laughs> abilities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about what I remember. <laughs> uh, number three was Bram Stoker's Dracula. I was just one of really bad Keanu Reeves English accent. Diab- but... Yes. Diaby. Diaby. <laughs> get back to back. Get back to the. Abe. 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 This is Abe. Oh dear. Abe. It's like it's so close between. Oh. It's so close between um, Ted and oh. Posh. I don't. I can't quite tell where it lands. It's like. It's like it's like the American version of Peter Sellers' Inspector Clouseau French. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some of the big hitters in that film, isn't there? And it just feels like <clears throat> how he managed to get into that film. What, what yeah. made... Was it? You had Branner, Oldman, didn't you? <clears throat> Who else? Yeah. Um, G- Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Ryder Anthony yeah. Hopkins, Jesus. Richard E. Grant. Jesus. Yeah, and then... Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Chuck, just chuck Alex Winter and he'd be sorted. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I'd watch it. It'd oh, be amazing, man. wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah, I didn't see that version. Um, number two was Aladdin from Disney. Um, that came in at 16, £16.1 million. Pounds. And um, what do you think was number one in 1993, guys? I have not um, got um, the foggiest. I'm just trying to... Uh, <laughs> just a, just a let me just film. Let me just consult... Uh, oh, man. Um, oh, uh, just a small-time uh, director. Was, was it a documentary on... Like mm, climate change, maybe, I suppose, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't Free Willy, was it? I, just, <laughs> I, I think it was. I remember it being a film. I just remember it seeming to be a bit far fetched, but I think I'd give it a chance. Yeah, um, yeah. that's how the old meme goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think what it's called now. I think it's, it's something creatures something world, is it? Something world. I can't remember. <laughs> It's, trig- it's triggering Chris here. It's <laughs> 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 clenching his fist. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's um, oh, who was in it? I can't remember now. No, I. I, I no, yeah, I think we'll just have to no, move no on idea. from that. No, no, yeah, I can't think. So it's something think. to do with like, um, oh Christ, I don't know, genetic warfare. It's like, am I close? Mm. Well, I don't know where you're going. Mm. Um, 
completely. All right, I think we stretched right. the gag long enough. It was one Jurassic of our dinosaurs Park. is missing. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Not geriatric park. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I remember being in a cinema watching Naked Gun for the third that, and my, my mind oh, was blowing at that. Alan Grant accepted the award for most outstanding film, Geriatric uh, Park. Uh, <laughs> uh, fantastic! So, fantastic. if you uh, consider Aladdin at number two um, earned sixteen point one million pounds at the UK box office, Jurassic Park took in thirty four point nine million um, pounds. Double. Big, 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 big film. Looks like they uh, slapped it on a plastic lunchbox and sold it. That they exactly did that, Chris. That I exactly the table, that. but my I, I would bet. Yeah, it would just hear Mike. But <laughs> um, oh, wow, that's incredible. We are going to delve into Jurassic Park in our next discuss this episode. So mm. expect uh, a similar episode to how we did Terminator Two, and uh, I think we're very much excited for that one, aren't we, boys? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, very much. Well, that, um, that gives you a, an idea of what kind of films were, were floating around in 1993. Um, but what kind of films were winning awards? Shall we play the awards game, boys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. in front of me from the Oscars of 1993 um, what I want you to do boys don't know why I keep calling you boys all of a sudden I don't like it men chaps well um, I wouldn't really say men either I mean I'm like the least manly man there is but well I mean we could always do what my wife does and just call you a man child that so works work. okay okay yeah. men child men child that still doesn't work does it um, I've got, I've got eight <laughs> categories in front of me. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to call a name, and then you're going to give me a number, and then whatever number corresponds to the category, that's what you've got to answer. Yeah. All right? More interactive now, I like it. I know. Okay. Cool. It's evolving as we evolve. Mm. It's the evolving podcast. We revolve. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Chris. Please give me a number between one and eight. This is out of six, by the way. We're not doing the whole eight. Just three. to six, so there'll be two left. Number three. Number three, you've chosen Best Actress. So, here are the nominations for Best Actress. We have Michelle Pfeiffer for Love Field. I know. Um, Mary McDonnell for Passion Fish. (laughs) God, Love Field, Passion Fish. Um, Susan Saradon for Lorenzo's Oil. I've never heard any of these films. (laughs) Continue. Lorenzo's Lorenzo's Oil, I have a really random memory. My mum watched it once, and I remember most of it for some reason. I kind of archive stuff. And then when Simon Pegg and Nick Frost made Paul, they named Jason Bateman's character Lorenzo's Oil. Okay. That's a stupid little factoid. For some reason, that, that joke made me laugh in the cinema. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that with us, Chris. <laughs> you know, you just have to get something out. That was it. I'm done. <laughs> um, Catherine. Uh, there, uh, there's some woman here called Catherine. 
from a <laughs> film called Indoctrine. Indoctrine. I don't know what I'm. I'm Indoctrine. Yes. Spell it. Indoctrine. There they go. Chris has got it. I have no idea what the film is. I just no. kind of guessed what word you were trying to say. Indoctrine. I'm going to search, I need to search for snap. Sorry, you've got me going. Or not, not like that. Sorry. Uh. Emma Thompson for Howard's End. I feel like the Oscars were clutching at straws in this. Yeah. It's a bit of a shit year. I don't know what makes you want to say Emma Thompson. Yeah, let's go for Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson? You'd be right. Um, Whoa, I didn't expect that. That was a complete blag. Well done. Rich. (laughs) Yes. Pick a number. Between one and eight. Um, I'm going to say six. Number six. Best supporting actress. Okay, wow. Are you ready? Yes. Nominations are Miranda Richardson for Damage, Judy Davis for Husbands and Wives, Joanne Plowright for Enchanted April, Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny, or Vanessa Redgrave for Howard's End. Why do I think it was Marissa Tomei? I mean, it should be. It, it is Marissa Tomei. Yeah. Yeah. Positive. Well done, you got yeah. it. Sweet. What one? She deserved it. Amazing. <laughs> amazing actress, amazing performance, and amazing film. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, you pick a number. Two. Number two, we have Best Actor. And the nominations in Best Actor in 1993 were Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven, Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin, Stephen Rea for The Crying Game, Denzel Washington for Malcolm X or Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman? I want to say Denzel Washington for Malcolm X. You seem pretty I've, confident. I've not seen it, but it just sounds like complete Oscar bait. I don't know what the film is and the subject of it. But. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm afraid it was Al Pacino before Scent of a Woman. Uh, I'd have a big fat family fortune. <laughs> <laughs> What's his speech like? Imagine like, ah, does his like Al Pacino thing that he does? Just Rich, yes. Pick a number between one and eight. So um, number three, mm, number four, and six have gone. I'm going to go for seven. Best screenplay written directly for the screen. Good luck. We have Passion Fish. Unforgiven, Husbands and Wives, Lorenzo's Oil, or The Crying Game? Um, I'll say The Crying Game, because it's the only one I know. <laughs> um, correct. You got it Sweet. right. Awesome. <laughs> Rich, Rich has grabbed it back. It's 2-1 to Rich now. Smashing it. Um, Chris, next one. Let's go for number eight. Best screenplay based on material previously produced or published. <laughs> good, good luck so the nominations were Howard's End The Player Enchanted April A River Runs Through It or Scent of a Woman I want to say Scent of a Woman again it was Howard's End ah. <laughs> poor Chris never mind well, Rich, you might as well uh, choose your last question. Uh, number one. Why not? Best picture. Thought it would be. <laughs> Howard's End. 
A Few Good Men, Scent of a Woman, The Crying Game, or Unforgiven? Uh, I'm going to say Scent of a Woman. It was Unforgiven. Damn. That's unforgivable. It was. Uh, Unforgiven. Yeah. That, that's the uh, uh, Western film, isn't it? Probably. That's all, yeah. I re- that's all I know about it. I was not interested in Westerns back then, and I'm still not now. No. Do you want to cover that one? Never. Yeah. Other than Bone Tomahawk, which everyone should watch. <laughs> Never cared about Westerns. No. Well, that means, Rich, that you win this week. Well done. Sweet. Lovely. So, Lovely or- me. All overall, that means that Chris still leads two to one. Rich, coming up from behind, mate. Must feel good. Watch out, watch out. (laughs) Don't get him in a dark room. Why, what would happen? Well, we won't be able to see. I'd lock the door and set fire to all the pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Ghostbusters. That's the most (laughs) obscure obscure (laughs) Ghostbusters reference. (laughs) Mate, that made my head hurt. Oh, just only someone some comes come in with a fire extinguisher with the, he- yeah. with the hero music coming in. Oh, anyway. oh that's giving me a migraine. <laughs> uh, let's let's move on to our choices. And uh, Chris, why don't you go first with your choice? Well, it's Groundhog Day again. <laughs> Columbia Pictures presents I may be having a problem. Bill Murray. I'm reliving the same day over and over. In a story about a weatherman who's living life like there's no tomorrow. Don't drive angry because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, frozen, electrocuted. You're God. I'm a God. I'm not the God. Groundhog Day. Rated PG. At Theaters Friday. Chris, why have you chosen Groundhog Day? Um, because it's a, a holiday staple film. It's it's kind of like always one over sort of Christmas Thanksgiving period for some reason because it sort of falls in that February winter holiday season. And I just have fond memories of it growing up. Um, just the whole sheer sci-fi concept of the whole thing it was just mind blowing to me, and. Just again, the the way the film is produced, it's directed by Hal Ramis, it's got Bill Murray in it, it's got Stephen Tobolowski and so many contributing, you know, Andy McDowell as well, and it's just this electric film that just works on so many profound, deep levels that it's just enjoyable. And I don't think I've ever met anyone who hasn't ever enjoyed Groundhog Day. Um, no, I, I watched it back, most of it today, mm. and uh, it was deeper and darker than I remember it to be. Yeah, when we when I watched it as a kid, and then when I watch it as an adult, whenever it's on or we're occasionally, you, know, you every year you watch it, Jason, like you said, you relate more and more to each individual character's struggles, and especially when you delve into it and you watch videos on YouTube or you read um, uh, like essays that have been written up about it, it makes so much sense to a grown-up audience. But it's also equally entertaining and light-hearted. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, you yeah. S- you see the shenanigans as oh this is all fun and he's learning as he's going along, and then when you delve into it, <laughs> you realise it's a a moral struggle, a moral story about a struggle of someone's mental health and acceptance of himself. Yeah, because who the, then tries to change himself for the better? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, the film starts um, and like he's he's confused and thrown, kind of thrown by what's happening to him. But then he kind of like gets into the stage of like, well, I can do whatever I want and there will be no consequences for it. So then he starts, uh, you know, really enjoying himself. Yeah. And then and then you go through the stages with him and then he starts getting suicidal um, because he just doesn't want it to continue. But then mm-hmm. he comes up with all these different ways of like uh, killing himself. And, yeah. then, and then obviously six o'clock, six o'clock in the morning rolls around and then he's just back in his bed ready to start again. Yeah. Um, and that you know th- things like he just goes down to the uh, to the his B&B restaurant and picks up the toaster in his pyjamas and then just brings it back yeah. and chucks it in his bath yeah and just gets in the bath and so many creative ways like driving a car off the quarry and like jumping off the clock tower mm-hmm. and just wakes up to Sonny and Cher every morning <laughs> yeah and it's just and when I'm delving through the research of this, um, weird, randomly, I happen to watch, there's a channel on YouTube called Behind the Backlot, no, Beyond the Backlot, sorry. And they recently, for Groundhog Day this year, went to the, ta- the town where this was all filmed. And they managed to hook up with Stephen Tobolowski at his house <laughs> to have an in-depth interview with him. And it's the most loveliest 20 minutes of an interview you could ever watch. It's just so... Happy that dude's just perpetually happy, Stephen Tobolowski. And mm-hmm. um, he's just a fabulous actor, he's got so much empathy for everyone. He's just an all round nice guy. And again, it delves into sort of like stories of behind the scenes and how it was all put together, and the fact that uh, apparently one day on set everyone was a bit down, so Bill Murray went to the local bakery and bought everyone pastries to boost morale. Doesn't sound like Bill Murray. No, <laughs> no, no, exactly. And like it was crazy, like and it's been documented by quite a few people on set that he did that. He went to the bakery on location and literally bought pastries and danishes and donuts for everyone on the cast. Awesome. To boost morale. Because apparently he was going for a first divorce and it was all, you know, messy Jeez. and stuff and yeah, he was sort of like a bit of a bit of a loose cannon really and unfortunately that's what um, made him and Harold Ramis fall out and they didn't speak until just before Harold died and that makes me really sad yeah sad that they had that friendship and kinship that just disintegrated after this film Mm. but as Bill was in a you know bad place I suppose and yeah they just had a grudge against him and that was a shame because yeah they went nearly 20 years without speaking and it's sad but the whole film as it is, just that, it kind of delves into that psyche of if you had unlimited days to achieve something, whether it be in this kind of plot in this film, was it goes from a, a shallow trying to bed someone that you work with to then in the end understanding what makes them tick, what makes them who they are, and then understanding yourself as a person in the process of trying to impress this person and it all comes down to just personal acceptance and when again when I was looking into it apparently 
It's inspired a book, a self-help book, to help cope with the mundane repetition of life and how to change yourself for the better. And Groundhog Day apparently has a whole chapter of how perfect an analogue it is for the recovery of mental health and depression. But um, yeah, it's just enjoyable and you get all these shenanigans and different... And they film each scene, even though it's a repeat, they film it from slightly different angles. See, I didn't know about this. So I was watching it back mm. and I'm thinking, I don't know if this is like a great filmmaking because they can just repeat scenes they've already filmed and then just mm. chuck it into the film at certain points or yeah. not. It was just all done meticulously well and just by changing a camera angle, the scene is almost identical but certain ways are changed. So he's actually, in a way, having an impact on the timeline by doing things a certain way, so things happen sometimes a bit later or a bit differently due to his interference. Um, like when he first, <laughs> you know, when he first meets Ned Ryson, that scene is, I believe, I think when Stephen Tobolowsky did the interview on the YouTube video, on the YouTube guy's um, channel, he said, I think, I think they had like 15 or 20 different versions of that scene filmed and only about three or four make it into the film. And just, I'd just love to see the, the, the chemistry between Bill Murray and Stephen Tobolowsky with the whole improv stuff, because apparently there's a lot of improv with that scene and that exchange. And we'll never see it because they've never released any deleted scenes or B-roll footage, and it's a shame. But it's just fun to watch. Watch him slowly destroying himself mm. and realising that I'm immortal. Yeah, I'm, I'm a god. <laughs> you kind of go on the journey and, a little bit with him, because like, and like you think, oh yeah, if if this was happening to me, I'd probably want to do that too. Like the whole whole scene where he's in the in the diner and he's just like ordered as much crap food as he can possibly yeah. fit on the yeah. table, and he's just like shoving it in yeah. because there's no consequences to it. Tomorrow more tomorrow, well, you know, I'm going to wake up and it's just going to be back to back to the way it was. Yeah, and it's just. They're stealing, they're stealing money from the bank just for the thrill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Ste- what I was stealing. liking was him going round and um, asking the the women certain as- uh, details of their life, and then the next day going back and then pretending he knew them mm-hmm. and stuff like you know, just yep. stuff like that. It was just quite funny. And it's just it's t- it's little scenes as well where it's just like learning to play piano learning to sing, do ice sculptures, learning to cook and do all these little bits. And it's a lovely analogue for, and I've got a quote here that says, one life is never enough. And apparently some Buddhist movements also hail this film as a landmark because it runs on one of their um, their mantras, like one life is never enough, which is kind of like delves into the whole reincarnation in Buddhist culture where you would love to do so much but you can't because you're you're stuck in this one life. Groundhog Day is a perfect metaphor for trying to achieve everything in a short space of time if you had unlimited time, which no one does. And I thought that was quite profound. And when you hear something like that, it makes you appreciate a film a hell of a lot more, just the way it's done. And you got touching moments in there, like when you, like you said, Jason, when he's meeting with the old people in the town and discussing their history, and, and then you've got a completely batshit crazy moments when he steals the groundhog and goes on a road trip <laughs> and <laughs> drives off the quarry. It's just yeah. like, 
it's like is this the same film I was watching five minutes ago? It's cra- just crazy. And and of course, um, um, yeah, Bill, so, Bill Murray just being Bill Murray. Bill Murray, yeah. The, Bill the, Murray playing yeah. Bill Murray in a film. And I, I was uh, um, sorry. I was saying that um, as I was watching this film, when to expect to see a cameo from Harold Rabis, mm. and he didn't disappoint because he came in as a neurosurgeon, didn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it him and um, Dan Aykroyd's voices on the radio towards the start as well? I remember there's two radio, there's two like radio um, DJs. I'm not too and sure. It that sounds didn't come out like them so much. Yeah. Um, especially Aykroyd, but it sounds like Ramos as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's uncredited, but it does sound like him. I found out today as well that Tom Hanks was originally considered for the role because they wanted they wanted the American everyman who was good at comedy and drama and emotional and but I think it wouldn't have worked as well without Bill Murray I think Bill Murray adds that quintessential smarminess that self-importantness and smugness to the character that it works more in the beginning because you can never take Tom Hanks that way no I, I have um, I have a trivia point about this particular subject um saying that like you say harold ramis originally wanted tom hanks but mm. decided against it saying that hanks was too nice you're too um, damn nice tom that's why yeah. you lost the movie <laughs> but it just it works so much with bill murray because like i said he's got that sarky smarmy smugness about him just in general <laughs> yeah. that when you get the payoff at the end when he's that he turns into a better person a more understanding approachable nice guy it's more of a believable arc than it would be with Tom Hanks, just starting the film as Tom Hanks and then ending the film as Tom Hanks. Mm. Like the famous Simpsons movie quote where <laughs> someone's lost all their credibility so they brought me in to, <laughs> to build it up. Um, but um, there was actually a debate as to how long he was in this loop for. And even if it, even if it is a loop, some people say it's all happening, it's like a fever dream that's happening over one night. I think it was then, 10 days, isn't it? Uh, no. The time frame on the original screenplay was estimated at 10,000 years. And they did that math before they went to film it because it deals with how long it will take to learn different hobbies and learn so much about people with an encyclopedic knowledge. Now, Another group of people, now we've all heard of these people called What Culture. They've now branched off and done like Trek culture and Doctor Who culture and stuff like that. They worked it out and Hal Ramis even said that theirs was more accurate. And that time is 33 years and 350 hours. That's a damn long time. That's, that's estimated time loop time to get all of that in, such as reading all those books, taking up those hobbies and learning all that stuff about the people and just, yeah. About thirty-three, about thirty-four years, give or take five days or so. And Harold Ramis went on record saying that was the most accurate, accurate use of math <laughs> for that entire <laughs> film, which is crazy considering people have enough time to work out how long he was in that time loop for. Thirty-three yeah. years. Thirty-three years, three hundred and fifty days. Interesting. That's, Jeez. That is done with like proper number crunching maths. <laughs> And I haven't gone into any detail about it, but... There's also a video game based on Groundhog Day as well, isn't there? <laughs> there was a, a there? sequel released in, was it 2016? Um, Groundhog there? Day, like Father Like Son, released for the PlayStation VR. 
This is why yeah. I didn't know about it. I had no Random. idea about it. Yes. I like that fact very much, Rich. Go to YouTube. Find that. I will. So. Things that we're getting up on YouTube is just a famous scenes from Groundhog Day. Exactly. Yeah. Phil? Phil Collins? Oh, God. I was quite happy when he punched him in the face. <laughs> Ned! <laughs> Speaking of that, if yeah. you go on that, that interview, that um, behind Beyond the Backlot um, channel, uh, Stephen Tobolowski actually unveiled his own plaque, and it, that corner is actually known in that town as Ned Ryerson Corner. <laughs> nice. That, and that is that is stunning. That is one of those things that made me so happy because I was like, that's just, they Brilliant. love their heritage so much, they gave a fictional character his own corner. <laughs> Um, a couple couple of other trivia points I found about the film was uh, Bill Murray was bitten by the groundhog twice during shooting Uh, Murray had to have anti-rabies injections because the bites were so severe jeez Um, and according to the director Harold Ramis most of the time when he tried to explain a scene to Bill Murray Murray would interrupt and ask just tell me good Phil or bad Phil (laughs) Um, the, f- the, f- the film has got a uh, eight out of ten on IMDb, and uh, its budget was fourteen point six million dollars. On the opening weekend in America, it took twelve, and total gross USA seventy one dollars, seventy one dollars, seventy one million dollars. So I said that was a pretty good hit, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, totally, it, definitely. Yeah, it opened on the 14th of February 1993 in America but didn't hit our shores until the 7th of May but uh, great film Chris brilliant pick thanks for bringing it there is no sign that this winter will ever end (laughs) (laughs) Rich yes please tell us what film have you bought to the movies of 1993 episode I mean I'm bringing the the biggest by far the biggest uh, dinosaur-based film of the year. <laughs> and that's going to have to be Super Mario Brothers. From Hollywood Pictures, Amer- America's favorite game is now the movie event of the summer. It's super fun. It's super excitement. It's incredible. It's super action. Hello, morons. Hello. It's Super Mario Brothers. Plumbers. 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 You got a problem with that? Don't miss the adventure that jumps to the ultimate level of excitement. Super Mario Brothers. Rated PG Parental Guidance Suggested. I come at this completely without irony. I'm not being ironic. I'm not being like postmodern or cute about it. Like I genuinely stick up for this film and I feel like it gets unfairly just dragged so hard and I don't get why. Um is it great? No. Is it even necessarily good? Maybe not. But it's not a bad film. It's not a terrible film. It's entertaining. There are way more offensive films out there. Um, yeah, I think. And I think so watching I watching back, um, I agree with your points. There's some decisions that they made making that film that were not the best. But I don't think their overall film itself is as bad as people depict it to be. Mm. I mean, it's incredibly. I mean. I think one of the biggest problems is everyone looks at it 
and whether it's now, whether it's five, ten years ago, everyone's looking at it through the lens of a film based on a franchise that we've had for over 30 years now. Whereas then it was like not even 10 years old. So we've got a lot more reverence for Mario now. And it's easier to kind of, it's easier to slate this film now than it is then as being unfaithful to the source material, to being too dark. But this is what I love about the film. I love how kind of brave and creative it is. It's actually got more energy and more soul and more heart than a lot of these films that go out just to be really, really faithful and just do things that will please fans. I like that they make it Blade Runner for kids, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. um, it's incredibly dark in places. It's yeah. The tone, in a way, you could say the tone is all over the shop and that's one of the criticisms, but I like it. I like that at one moment it feels quite like a cute little caper. The next... Yeah, it's, there's some questionable gags in there. It it gets quite, I'm not saying adult, but yeah, it's quite mature. And it's a really hard one to stick a pin in, but I think I just really like it. It's, it I think the trouble with the film, like, like you say, I think people went into it expecting something that they just didn't get in the film. Like, you, you can see drops of Mario throughout the film. Mm. You know, like, when you when you go into the different the parallel universe dimension, whatever it is, um, and, like, you're into the city, and, like, you can see all the neon lights, and you can see Thwomp, um, neon sign-up, and all these little signs to the, to, the, to the video game. But, like, overall, it's... It's... it's really not what you would expect would you from a Mario film at all exactly um, um, and I think that's probably what threw a lot of people that's what's weird is because I look at it now and we're obviously you know used to lush looking 3D Mario games and we're seeing all the the renders of in different worlds and environments but then I'm thinking we're looking at a game that wasn't really even into the 16 bit area yet it was primitive <clears throat> so I don't know how faithful you can be to the source material without being animated and I like that they took it and they did something completely out of left field they it'd be bold to say they grounded it it was quite fantastical but mm. from set design to character design to some of the effects I just think it works it really mm. really works and I mean I watched it only the other day and I enjoyed it. I didn't sit there thinking, "Oh God, this yeah, this is yeah, this is bad now." No, I love it. I, I love the Goombas. I think they're amazing. They're incredible character design and costume design. I think they're absolutely <coughs> adorable. That the the scene in the elevator is one of my favourite scenes of all time in any film, when they're just basically swaying and dancing to the music. Mm -hmm. I think it's adorable, and it's like a really great comedy set piece as well um and yeah jason you said about all the easter eggs in it i mean there's like a laundry list of things i mean i'm thinking of um in like um cooper it's played by the fantastic dennis hopper who thought that would ever be a sentence um, <laughs> nice <laughs> 
And again, that's what I love about it. My God, Dennis Hopper played King Cooper. That would never, ever not be true. And but in his like office headquarters, you see some of the decor on the walls and they've got the um like the pointy kind of blocks. You got like the um you'll you'll see them on the walls. It, and it looks like the actual castle finish in the castle levels in the Mario games. Mm-hmm. Um there's so many little references to it. You see the bomb in it, bullet bills. Yes. Um Bertha, the big Bertha, who's the lady in the red dress who's mm-hmm. like got a crush on Mario. She's not a fish, but you can see the reference. She's got the red dress. It just there's so many good things in this film. I, I, again, I will stand up for it till the end of time. It's got an amazing like cult following now. I mean, there's like the Super Mario Brothers movie archive now. I mean, there's a a web comic sequel. I think they released in like 2012. Um, there was an actual. I mean, the Blu-ray came out simply because of a fan campaign to have it released. Otherwise, I think it would just be consigned to the history books. I think they would just bury it and you would never see it again. I think so, yeah, because uh, looking on IMDb, it's got 4.1 out of 10 for, for like an average rating. But, I mean, like you don't see things like Mario eat a mushroom and, and get bigger, do you? Or, um, no, no. Like the whole... Um, is it the fungus isn't it that's all around yeah. the city and then like you find out that um bowser has turned princess daisy's dad into this weird like what he's even is fungus. it he's just, he's yeah. just a load of fungus is all he is like he's like in some like he lives in this little cocoon and then like his head just pops out every now and again to say hello um good old lance henrickson <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Millennium, as we call him. Oh, look, it's Millennium. <laughs> that's, a, that's the only Family Guy thing I'll ever reference. I just, yeah. So, and I, I think that kind of like what throws you a little bit. Like I said, I mean, like when I watched it and and I watched it back, and afterwards I thought, like you, um, actually, as as a mid nineties like film adaption on on something, that was good. That was it. Was all right. It was good. Mm. Um, I yeah. guess from a video game player perspective I don't know maybe it was just that little bit too much you know weirdness with the like I say with the fungus and all that kind of stuff yeah that, that kind of just froze me a little bit from it I get it I get it but I don't know for me I, I just enjoyed it more and more I mean I was watching it the other day and I was finding more references than I I yeah I mean it's what 30 years on and I'm seeing more and more references even now like I mean, it must I mean, have been hard. It must have been hard for the for the people for the filmmakers to sit down and go right. We've got to uh, make the, make a movie out of this video game. Yeah, how, how, and it's got to be live action. H- how do we do that? You know, it, it must it must have been hard, and I can see why they went down the road that they did. I mean, at least they didn't have the pressure then. I mean, obviously, this was like the first video game movie adaptation. They didn't have. You didn't have the whole... I mean, yeah, I know we were like a few years removed from a, a letter campaign about Michael Keaton being Batman, but even though you didn't <laughs> have that culture of like fan community and fandom and this kind of... I don't want to say entitlement, but yeah, there's that kind of real ownership of these things and uh, it can't be like this and if it is, then we're going to tear it down and it's wrong. Yeah. I think they felt like they could be quite brave with it and just do something... 
Do do you think it Weird. was um, more to do with like troubles on the set and troubles within actors and the, there were, and the there were no troubles on the set of Super Mario Brothers? You think, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you say that? The, the directors were not hated. Um, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo were not drunk on set. That mm-hmm. never happened. No, never. Um, never, never happened. Um, no. The film was a resounding success. Um, yeah, I do think there's a lot of it, and I know like Bob Hoskins checked out pretty early on. I mean, this film had a lot of a lot of rewrites, and I mean, I think early on when a lot of the actors signed on, they were quite happy with it. They liked it. And by the end, I think a lot of people just wanted to get the hell out. It, it changed so much. I mean, I know, yeah, I know, was it Rocky Morton and Annabelle Henkel, I think the name was, the two directors? They were despised by all the cast, mm. despised. Because they um, weren't talking to each other, were they? Or yeah. the one would make one decision without talking yeah. to the other. And a husband and wife director team as well, which is like just not not a good idea. No, <laughs> I've just so any time I've ever heard of that, and yeah, it, I mean, I think it worked out. I love the film, but <laughs> it's so hard to say what is wrong with it. I again, I don't, I don't pretend it's a great film. I see the flaws, but I won't. I just I can't hold on to them. I the energy for it that come comes through for me. I love these things where they kind of adapt a property and make it like quite of contemporary mm-hmm. and dark. And it's not in that cynical kind of like, you know, grim dark Zack Snyder kind of way where it's like, we're just gonna make it dark because it's gotta be dark. It's like no, they do it in this kind of grim fairy tale future um post apocalyptic kind of it's, it's just bonkers. Mm-hmm. And I just, you can't fault it for its originality. How it takes something that's so primitive, so cartoony, and it just makes it something so, so removed. But it does weirdly have a lot of reverence for the source material. I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I did enjoy, like I say, picking out those little bits and then, like, the musician pers- man who turned out to be Toad with the harmonica. Um, and like <laughs> yeah. Yoshi and um, the the two goons that were running around trying to ca- catch Princess Daisy, who turned out to be Spike and Iggy. Yeah. Um, and on all these different things, I did enjoy picking out all those bits from the film. I mean, even like you look at the actual climactic fight as well, when you've got Mario and Cooper on the bridge on the walkway. Mm-hmm. And it's a straight homage to the, uh, like the original Super Mario Brothers level where you see Bowser on the bridge at the end mm-hmm. and he's firing like, the, f- the fireballs at you. Yeah, He's literally standing on a walkway with a gun. Yeah. With a, it's a super scope as well, isn't it? I was so, going to say, did you notice? Yeah. <laughs> it's did you a notice? super scope. Because I was looking and it, at it and I was going, that's a super scope, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got the bit with them going down the frozen pipe as well on the mattress. There's the bit at the beginning where Mario kind of... Um, Yep. sits on the mattress and the pose he does is comp- again I might be going completely down the fucking I might be looking at stuff <laughs> way harder than I should be but the the pose that Bob Hoskins does looks exactly like Mario's ducking animation <laughs> from the SNES games he just curls up in a ball it, it's literally like he was directed to do that I, I, I can't not see it and that's one of the smallest things I mean you've got the peace sign at the end when they win and you know the bloody um, Luigi's throwing up the V sign it just it, it's straight out of the games. Yeah, it it's small stuff, but I just love it. I I, I say I think it's got a great cast. I mean, 
Yeah, they, Bob Hoskins, yeah, great. Bob Hoskins is a great Mario. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I know they wanted was it Danny DeVito, and I think it was meant to be. They were looking at Tom Hanks to oh, Tom be Hanks Luigi. Was out everybody. <laughs> Tom, yeah, Tom Hanks. Even at that point, he apparently was kind of having a really down, downward spell in Hollywood. He was kind of doing. I think like the Burbs didn't really um, set the world on fire, and his kind of star was fading a little bit. Amazing, I know, but in the early nineties, Tom Hanks had hit kind of a, a few bumps. And he, they just decided, nah, we won't bother. He's not the hot commodity he was in the late 80s. Amazing. Um, Samantha Mathis, lovely. Um, yeah, Dennis Hopper, incredible. we got Fiona Shaw in this film. What the hell? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's a great cast. It's a great cast. Um, and Fisher Stevens, not in brown face. That's appreciated. Um <laughs> I think the only thing that made me cringe watching this film the last few days is a scene when um, Cooper merges the two worlds again. He appears in um, New York, and mm-hmm. you see the uh, oh, twin the towers fade face. away. Yeah. They just yeah. start to dissolve. I was like, <laughs> yeah, <"Ooh." laughs> just like, yeah, wasn't wasn't a good image that in the post nine eleven world. But it's, no. yeah, no. That, that was a hard one to swallow. But I think there's anything in the film that offends me. I I love it. I absolutely love it. I. I mean, watching it again recently, I would happily watch it again next week. I've got no problem. I, I love the energy. It's fun. It's ten times better than any Resident Evil film. It's better than Silent Hill. It's better than Tomb Raider. It, it, it's, I'd say, more combat than this, I think. And I know that's a low bar, mm. but it's not a bad film. There are way worse films out there, and I think more people need to give it a chance. I, I feel like a lot of people slag it off just to kind of feel I think it's cool I think it's cooler to hate on this film than it is to be seen as saying you enjoy it I feel like some people don't really mean it and I think it's just treated harshly and people don't really know why they're sticking the boot in I think it's just it's kind of this thing you feel like you have to say it's shit but it's not so Mm. I don't know I I love this film it's fun Yoshi's adorable so (laughs) many good takeaways so yeah great film the uh, the only one little thing that irked me during the film, and I just wanted them to refer to King Cooper as Bowser. That's all I really wanted. Yeah. I just wanted him to be called Bowser. Um, I mean, they call him Lizard Breath, which is a nice little reference to the cartoon. Again, that's it, another yeah. little reference. It's great. Um, yeah. I always wanted one of the uh, toys of the police cars as well. I remember they used to have them. They were kind of like the crash test dummies toys. Did it have like really like silicony mucus fungus stuff, didn't they? Yeah. Attached to it, like spring it back and... I, mean, I have still got my Mario Mario action figure though, mint condition. <laughs> Bob nice. Hoskins laying around somewhere. I'll find him later. Put a picture up on the socials. But they they um they went all in on this film, didn't they? They they were hoping and wishing that this was going to be like massive because, like you said, yeah. they they did the figures, they yeah. did um, uh, lots of different tie-ins for it. I mean, and even at the end of the film, they set it up for a sequel. They did. They with, did. And it just never came to be yeah that rock set song was banging as well great song yeah um, that's a pretty good yeah. song it was a great film yeah great film great song love it um, yeah can't say any more than that really um, yeah I, I haven't watched it in a long time I didn't even have a chance to try and source it this week well Chris that can be your task for mm. next month <laughs> I always remember being fond of it it was never one of those films I can never understand the hate for it like Rich said, you you adapt something which basically 
doesn't have anything to adapt direct. It's mm. just this pixelated small images on a screen. So you, you adapt it as best you can. Yeah. And that's what it is. Even if they've got even if they've got to change the Goombas from something that could be an animatronic, but they should put a load of guys in masks because it's a hell of a lot cheaper and we're just kind of changing the lore around a little bit, but it's all still there. <laughs> it's just different... I like Visual to. Stuff. I mean, I know they're making a new Super Mario film now, but that's mm. like Despicable Me, you know, Toy Story See. kind of animated yeah. film. Um, but I mean, I'd, I'd like if they were to. I wonder how they would go about creating a live action version of Mario today. Oh man, that's that's a conversation. Who would we cast? <laughs> who would we cast? Um, who would you cast as Mario? Who'd be a good? Lu- I'm trying to think of a Luigi first. I feel like it's going to come to me quicker, but I can't think. Um, damn, I'm going to have to come back to you on that. Uh, well, a couple of trivia points on Super Mario Brothers. Uh, during a chase scene, Bob Hoskins broke his finger when the van's door slammed on his hand. Uh, for the rest of the film, Hoskins is wearing a cast that was painted pink to look like a hand. <laughs> nice. And... Um, Bob Hoskins didn't know that the film he was making was based on a video game until his son asked him what he was working on. When Hoskins mentioned the film's title, his son immediately recognised it and showed Hoskins the game on his own Nintendo. Bob was thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Um, Super Mario Brothers had a budget of $48 million. Gross USA, it took 20 opening on the 31st of May 1993 in America and the 9th of July in the UK um, yeah they lost a lot of money mm-hmm. and you can see why they never made another you can see why that sequel never appeared that's just, such a shame such a shame I, I love the set up to the, uh, the end of that film I really liked it hmm. well to to end the show um, it's uh, it's my choice and my choice is Aladdin you're gonna grant me any three wishes I want, right? Uh, almost. There are a few uh, provisos, a, a couple of quid pro quos. Like? Uh, rule number one, I can't kill anybody. Yeah, so don't ask. Uh, rule number two, I can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else. Mwah! You little pun them there. Rule number three, I can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty picture. I don't like doing it. Other than that, you got it. Hmm. Provisos? You mean limitations? On wishes? <laughs> Some all-powerful genie. Can't even bring people back from the dead. I don't know, Abu. He probably can't even get us out of this cave. Looks like we're gonna have to find a way out of here. Excuse me? <laughs> Are you looking at me? Did you rub my lamp? Did you wake me up? Did you bring me here? And all of a sudden you're walking out on me? I don't think so. Not right now. You're getting your wishes, so sit down! In case of emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We... Now, this is our first Disney appearance on the show, I think. And, uh, why Aladdin? I think Aladdin uh, was my first. I kind of kind of claim it as my first kind of like Disney film, if if, if that makes sense to you guys. Mm-hmm. Like, 
we had all the old classics and even like leading up to Aladdin like you you had films like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and although they're you know they're they're very well made films very enjoyable they they didn't resonate with me that much because it still seemed kind of like girly-ish fairy tale kind of Disney film Um, and then Aladdin came along um, and Aladdin had uh, had all this action going on. It had this uh, great character in the genie who was who was really had some really was really funny, and although I didn't see it at the cinema, it was a film I destroyed on VHS. Indeed, literally destroyed. Yep. Um, what kind of memories do you have of the film, guys? Go on, Chris. You go all, first. all positives. Um, now, just. Again, it's just one of those films that was lightning in a bottle. Excuse the pun. Yeah. Oh, well, a lamp, uh, really, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and it just it just works on so many levels, and it's entertaining, it's dramatic, it's funny, it's touching, it's emotionally driven, it's everything. And I just have fond memories of going to my cousins up in London, and would always watch, like, that, and... Because uh, a couple of my cousins are a little bit younger, so all the way through the nineties, it was either Lion King, Aladdin, or Little Mermaid. Mm. Like literally, those three films were always on at some point when we visited. And um, Aladdin's just fun. And regardless of what anyone says, when people say, "Will it have been? Would it have been a success without Robin Williams?" Well, we don't know because they didn't make it without him. So, you know. I mean, I think he's obviously one of the biggest characters, and that's something that Robin Williams didn't want to happen. From mm. from what I read, like mm-hmm. he he didn't want the film to be based around him. He he took a, a smaller paycheck from Disney, and he wanted he didn't he wanted his character to only share a, a a small percentage of the posters and everything else. He didn't want it. He didn't want it to be a Robin Williams film. But that's not what we got, because Disney kind of just didn't listen to him and just yeah, they went back on their word, didn't they, and just used him as much as they could. And that 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 paid off Robin Williams, and that's why he's not in the sequel, um, because mm. because that happened, and like Robin Williams was like, no, I'm not I'm not doing it, even though he did return for the third one, um, for that second one, because because of what Disney did with the original, um, that's why he never returned for the second. But I don't blame Disney in some ways. No, it's a business. You see a character that's a cash cow, whether it's um, you know a, a group or a baby Yoda, or it's like yeah, they, they see it and you're gonna sell it. You know, it's like the way Malcolm says. You know, you just slap him on the lunchbox, boom. It's like no one's really giving a shit about Jafar. You know what I mean? They're, they're no. gonna see a genie, and be like genie, money. Dis- yeah, Disney just see dollar signs. Yeah, it's smart. But and also I, one yeah, of the world's the most bankable stars. So, yeah, I get where they're going with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the even like, the, the musical numbers in the film hmm. never really... I can always remember like watching a lot of Disney films and then I used to, like, tut and roll my eyes when a song came on. Um, I didn't like the singing parts in the Disney films. They were oh. they were t- 
taking it all, taking away the story to me. You know, I wanted them to just carry on. Oh, stop prancing about in the kitchen with your broom and and your bucket <laughs> Cinderella and just freaking get on with it, will you? Um, but I didn't like yeah, again. Aladdin was that first Disney film, like where, where the songs just hit me. Yeah, I mean, I was watching this the other day when I was traveling um and soon as um a whole new world came on i could mm-hmm. feel it in my chest i was like oh, I, I forgot how much that is just a beautiful beautiful scene from beginning to end as it starts to build into the song until when it you know draws to a climax i just it's yeah i i like i'm like you i've never been someone that's like oh musicals but there's something about when they when they hit it right mm. it's just um yeah it's it's absolutely magical. It is. It's absolutely magical. Um, but it was it was a return to grace for Disney at this mm. time because I think in the, in the 80s or mid to late 80s they were starting to struggle a little bit when they brought out the the Black Cauldron yeah. and it, and it really didn't do much. Um, and then they they I think they changed some things and from the Little Mermaid onwards they they started to. Um, I think they call it the Disney Renaissance. Like Renaissance. Renaissance. Yeah, yeah. Rena- Renaissance. yeah the mid, mid late nineties yeah. was them um, coming back. Mike Wisner just kicking ass. Yeah, uh, uh, we think you know the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, um, Aladdin, and uh, the Lion King, and then yeah. just, they just kind of just blew back up from that. Yeah, I always like look back fondly at the whole like Disney renaissance when they kind of came back to strength and um but I feel like even despite those films like ones like Lion King um Beauty and the Beast they never actually really resonated with me I don't think they're bad I think they're still good they're just yeah something about Aladdin was the only one um and I saw this in the cinema but and like you I burned oh, the yeah. VHS to mm-hmm. just <laughs> Nothing. It there was, was nothing left of it. So much rewatching. I don't know why. It just, no. it just hit. Yeah. Um. And there's only really two Disney films, two pure proper Disney films. I've only really ever resonated with me, and it's this, and then it's uh, Tangled. Many years later. Um, oh wow! Yeah. I adore. I adore. Um. Why Tangled? What is it? About I don't know. Tangled? It's almost like like with Aladdin. I does. It's something about it. I can't put my finger on it. It just hit. Um, and again, like with Aladdin, the songs like "I See the Light" is ten times better than "Let It Go" will ever be. And anyone that likes Frozen can <laughs> suck it, basically. Um, yeah, Tango is amazing. Um, but yeah, I don't want to go too far into 2010. This is about 1993. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but yeah, I love Aladdin. I, I really do love it. I, I just. But it's it just yeah, it just hits all the right notes. I mean, mm. it's got the humour. It's got that boyish kind of adventure to it. It's got, but it's got interesting characters as well. Because yeah. because you've got Jafar and um, even this bloody parrot. I forgot his well, name. Yago. Yago. I will call it. A I, l- I love bloody, Gilbert um, Godfrey. Oh my god. Have you ever heard him read uh, Fifty Shades of Grey? Yes. <laughs> he, he has his own amazing. podcast. The Gilbert You've Godfrey not seen it, Jason. podcast. Oh. oh no, not the guy is amazing. He just reads a few passages from it. It is hysterical. He's just shouting like, "Yeah, I won't read. The, I won't say the stuff." But yeah, I really want <laughs> so to hear good. this now. <laughs> it's so good. 
Um, but yeah, it just it just works so on every single level. And so watching it again the other day, it, just, it felt like I was watching a VHS again. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm like ten or thirty, whatever how I am now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember as well, this is one of those stupid things, but being like nine, ten years old at the time. But I think Jasmine was like probably one of my few <laughs> only ever like animated crushes. Oh, the classic Disney crush. <laughs> Disney, weird. It was, it was honestly, okay, this is going to sound really fucked up now, but for me, it was her and it was a gadget from Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> who was a mouse? <laughs> Don't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's very random. Yeah, so it's never, ever broadcast that bit um that's getting at the beginning <laughs> yeah I bet um, clip well, that put on the socials so yeah. everyone hears it um, what was your yeah. i'm interested chris what what was your disney crush oh i don't know that's a question i've never ever been asked before <laughs> <laughs> yes you do you know you just don't want to say do you know what i'm actually sitting here i actually do not know I can't think off the top of my head right now. That's an easy way out. Uh, Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm literally dumbfounded. I actually never even thought about it. Um, well, um, apparently scheduling conflicts with Star Trek The Next Generation forced Patrick Stewart to turn down the role of Jafar. He has said in interviews that this is his biggest regret. Can you imagine Patrick Stewart as Jafar? I don't know if that would actually work, would it? Where well, he's got that um, booming Shakespearean aura about him. Who was the voice again? Actually, I don't remember who actually voiced him now. Oh, cool. Let me find out for you. I mean, he was great, whoever it was. Um, he had great voice cast all around him. I mean, the Cave of Wonders was bloody the amazing Frank Welker, who I always love. So the voice of Jafar was Jonathan Freeman. Shrug. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan Freeman. I'm sure you're great, um, but don't know who you are. No, um, we had uh, Linda Larkin as Princess Jasmine, uh, Scott Weinher, Weinger, Weinher as Aladdin. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, Gil and Gilbert for Iago. <laughs> At least it said Gilbert. <laughs> I'm not reading it. <laughs> Got fried? What? <laughs> Look, I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of good history in trying to pronounce names, so I'm just going That's fine. I'm going for the easy route from this point onwards. G squared. There you go. It's from G squared. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> G squared. Like a rapper. Yeah. Um, when the film was first released on VHS in November, uh, November, October of 1993 in America, it sold over 10.8 million copies in its first week and went on to sell over 25 million in total. This record stood for only two years when it was beaten by the release of The Lion King. Um, Aladdin's got uh, an 8.8 out of 10 on IMDb and uh, a budget of 28 million million dollars. But um, overall, in the USA, it took uh, $217,350,000. Yikes. Not bad. I remember saying what quite revolutionary with this as well. I remember being in the cinema and being blown away. This was like the first time they combined like traditional animation and uh, CG as well, wasn't it? Like the whole Cave of Wonders escape. Mm-hmm. That's I remember right, yeah. there was a load of CGI in that. It was kind of like, whoa, this is... Uh, this is going to be the future. Yeah, and then Toy Story like came two around. years later. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, that's cool. Um, any last words on uh, Aladdin, Chris? 
just uh, we miss you, Robin Williams. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, though. You know, to say what everyone else has said, the world lost one of its greatest entertainers. And natural, natural I entertainers. I just love that story where the Disney reps convinced him to do the role when they animated a genie around his stand-up routine, his manic, ADHD, substance-fueled stand-up routine, and I just think without that confidence that we wouldn't have had him cast, and you you can feel the energy coming off the screen in just the audio alone. They're capturing his face as yeah. well. Like you see, like the little, like yeah. little smiles and little concern looks yeah. he does. With these little, is the mouth and the eyes. Yeah. Like you see it. Like they nail the face. Yeah, they drew his it's... hook, his little hook nose, and you yeah. know, the weird kind of nose he's got, and and the, the ears as well. It's just, it's just Robin Williams with a ponytail and blue. It's just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Just um, yeah, all round really well done film, and the gags and the ad libs and the impressions mm. just, just make it. Against one of those rare cases where let's just leave the mic running and give him some coffee, and uh, <laughs> that's yeah. I think that's basically what they did, and just kept the mic running, and they got some gold gold improv stuff in that. I'd love to hear what's on the cutting room floor from yeah. those recording sessions. Definitely. I really would. It's probably hours and hours worth. Um, well, that's everything for this time can find the show on all major platforms and if you enjoyed the show today then we would love it if you could give us a subscribe a rating and or a review if you have any feedback good or bad about the show then please get in touch by emailing us at thewolfypod at gmail.com or on twitter at wolfypod you can also find us on facebook and instagram all the links can be found in the show details including our personal twitter handles or you can find everything including every episode at thewolfypod.com Guys, any final words on the films of 1993 or just in general before we leave? Um, in general, um, you never asked me what I was what was in my glass. Oh my I'm, God, I never did, did I? No. It's even on my show notes and I just completely missed it. Terrible, that's fine. It's just amateurish. Um, your final words, Rich, <laughs> can be what was in your glass. I had a Tonka and not not the um, like the toy digger it's a, a kind of drink <laughs> that's like some kind of frat party gag isn't it it's drinking yeah. beer out so, the back of a Tonka toy <laughs> <laughs> a Tonka and a caramel swole ice cream stout funny you should mention that Tonka beans <laughs> are an amazing ingredient really Tonka beans isn't it's an Asian um, like seed and it's like a, we used to make ton, tonka bean ice cream at the golf club. Okay. And it's if you can get hold of them, I'm pretty sure Opie's selling. I'm pretty sure we got tonka beans from Opie's when we were at the restaurant. I've asked Rachel because um, she works for them. So. Yeah, they they come in like yeah you know, little box and they make stunning infusions for ice creams and sauces and it's a really strong, almost licorice aniseed blend flavour. Mm, but when you add it, yeah. but no, but when you add it to things like like cream for ice creams or or like a sort of sweet stock syrup, it's it's really lovely flavour. Look it up, look up Tonka beans, and then use them for cooking. But was the Tonka Root. beans a, a good ingredient in your beer tonight, Rich? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I was more about the caramel, but that's fine. <laughs> and uh, please give us a, give us a rich rating. Ooh, um, I'm gonna do a nine point seven five. Nine point seven five. Mm. That's 
Is, is this um, by your brewery people that you like, Emma? Emma? Armandson, yeah. Armandson, still Armandson, still design a can, still 10.5% every <laughs> single fortnight. So. And you can find them at armandson.com. Probably. <laughs> uh, Chris, any final words, mate? Well, it's Groundhog Day again. Nice. Um, and that, all that's left for me to say is that you've been listening to What's Wrong with Wolfie, a 90s podcast to the max. We'll catch you later. Wrong with Wolfie. I can hear him barking. <laughs>